Welcome to Buying Florida with Didier. Whether you're looking to move, invest, start a business, or expand, Didier will share with you everything you need to know. Tune in, learn, and improve with Didier and DDA Mortgage. Now here's your host, Didier. Welcome to another podcast, Didier with Buying Florida. My name is Didier, and I'm with Didier Mortgage. And today we're going to talk about what type of mortgage should you apply for. There's really some good stuff in here, and I I really hope you get to listen to this podcast, and I think it's a good learning experience. Whether you're buying your first home or you're buying a second home or whatever the case may be, you might have done homes before, what do you do? You're buying that home, and the first question I have is, Do you go FHA or conventional? And how do you decide between the two? Well, I want to educate you. So wherever you may be, you know, I'm only in the state of Florida and that's where my concentration is. And that's where I do loans. I think if you find it informative with FHA, you can put down as little as three and a half percent down. Why would you go FHA? Well, FHA is a great loan. Let's say maybe your credit scores aren't as high. You know, FHA can go down to scores in the 580 or so if it runs DU. I have my cutoff at 600 and with the lenders that I work with or the investors. Uh, 3.5% down, but why would I go that route? Well, one, on FHA, you have to put 3.5% down, but the seller can pay up to 6% of closing costs which if you are limited of funds and you have no access to any more and you only have your 3.5% down, for example, you're buying a home for $150,000, your 3.5% down is going to be what? I think $5,250, but you have no closing costs. Well, it's a great way for the seller to pay for closing costs or the lender to give you a credit. So it kind of works out that way. On a conventional, the maximum is 3% down. So you kind of understand the difference there. That may not cover everything for you. Why else would you go FHA? Well, if you have lower credit scores, the rate stays the same. The PMI is pretty much the same. On a conventional with lower credit scores, you're really going to get hard for the PMI and you get hit high with a much higher rate. So I will put someone placed on based upon their situation. If I have someone that's limited on funds that the 3% closing costs won't cover, I'll go definitely with an FHA if they have a lower credit score so they're not getting hit hard on the interest rate or on the monthly PMI. Because on FHA, the PMI is fixed at 0.85. FHA has a funding fee and a monthly PMI. Conventional just has a 3% down. On a conventional, the PMI will come off after so many years. So I really find a lot of great benefits. I took a loan application this morning off of a lady buying a home for 225000 She had decent credit scores. The PMI was cheaper. The interest rate was incredible. 
and she got the seller to pay 3% of her closing costs. So that was ideal for her because down the road, she can get rid of the monthly PMI that will help lower her payments. So that was a picture-perfect loan for her. I didn't see the benefit of FHA. But let's talk about something else about FHA. You know, you may have to go to an FHA because, for example, on FHA, you can have a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and you're good to go after two years. If you have a foreclosure, I, I believe it's three years, I and mean, then three or four, one of those, so much information. So you have shorter time frames. If you do a conventional loan, you have to wait four years from a BK7, seven years if you had a foreclosure. So that might be another reason why you would go to an FHA loan if you had one of these situations happen to you. It's a shorter time frame versus a conventional loan. And of course, there's other programs out there, but we're talking at minimal down, good rates, great rates, and uh, programs to get you right back in there. So those are kind of the differences between an FHA and a conventional. Again, uh, another thing to remember, and, and, and I, I see this all the time, when you have a foreclosure, and let's say you put that foreclosure in the bankruptcy, you think you're done, but you're not. Yes, you've done the two years on the discharge of the seven. You're thinking you're three years on the foreclosure, but this is really important. Grasp this one. The clock doesn't start ticking until the bank gets title to the property. So if you have a bank that's not doing anything and they sit where you still own the home, they have not taken title to it, your clock hasn't started. That's huge. That's really huge. I can't tell you the numbers of times. You got a divorce. Uh, Ex-wife, you don't have your divorce decree, and foreclosure. Doesn't start until you have that time. So really, you have a situation there where you really make sure the bank takes title to the property. On conventional, a little bit different. If it's in the bankruptcy, your time clock starts, but again, you get seven years. So really on your FHA, please note, you know, things happen and everyone's gone through something. I call it stuff. But if you have that and you have that foreclosure and you've walked away, you went to go start your new life, you're in that apartment, you're living your life, you forgot about it, but the bank never took title, you still own it and the clock hasn't started. That's really huge. And I can't tell you, every time I have that conversation, not one person knows because it's not really told. No one really explains it to you. Uh, like you're going through a divorce and all that kind of situation. They don't explain the ramifications, but no, that's very important. So work with your lender to take title, do whatever you got to do. Just don't walk away because they may not touch it for four or five years. And technically you're still the owner until they take title. I kind of beat that one up a little bit because that's just something that keeps repeating itself over and over again. And I hope I've made that really kind of clear. Let's go to the next point. What about putting 20% down on a conventional loan? If you put less than 20% down, it requires PMI. Well, something you should note on a conventional loan, you get rewarded on an interest rate on your monthly PMI, the higher the credit score. And I think I've mentioned that in prior podcasts. There's buckets, 740 and greater. You walk on water. You'll be surprised. People are like, I got to put 20% down because of PMI. 
I mean, I just did one where I, I talked to someone who's put 400, putting 10% down. PMI is like $50. It's a no brainer. He has an 800 credit score. So really, don't be afraid to have PMI. The PMI on a conventional loan will come off. I mean, they, they have it automatically guaranteed to come off. And this is a guess. I think like 10 years. When you sign your note, it says at this day, this month, this year. But if you work on paying down your loan and you have your 20% equity, you can go back to the lender and, and work with them on getting the PMI removed. They're going to require an appraisal done from them. And then you get it done. But just don't go ahead and do it. You work with a realtor and the realtor is your realtor for life. So call your realtor and go to them and say, listen, what is the value of my home? And, and, and touch base with them. They'll do the comps. They're, they're doing business with you. They're your lifetime partner. They're going to work with you and then say, I'm trying to get my PMI removed. And then you go in the process of getting the PMI removed, get an appraisal done and go that route. But you want to make sure you got like 22% equity. So that's really important to do. Don't be afraid of having monthly PMI. And if I quiz you real quick, I'm going to ask you that question on FHA. When does that come off? Waiting for you all to give me an answer. I hear it. Never. Stays on forever. So you don't ever lose that, okay? Until you sell the home and it's gone and you have no PMI nor mortgage payment. So I hope that's been helpful to you. We talked about 3.5% down on an FHA loan. What's the minimum down payment on a conventional loan? Well, we have the home ready, home possible, and it could be 3% down, but you've got to have its income restricted or in some areas, the property may be fine. So if you're looking at going 3% down, you have to talk to me about what area, what city you're in to make sure of the income limits. And some may not. It may be okay depending on where you're at. So we just have to plug it in the system and find out. So that's pretty good news. And the 3% down I love because it's a half percent less. And on a conventional, what will come off? The PMI. So that's really some exciting stuff. I always find on FHA, the rates are lower than on a conventional. You're always going to find the rates probably, you know, three-eighths of a percent better, half a percent better. But remember, the PMI is fixed forever. So you got your pros and cons. And of course, we talked about, you know, what makes the most sense and what funds you have and your credit scores and whether you've had an unfortunate situation, if you've met the timeline. So those are pretty interesting. Uh, what are the down payments for an owner-occupied home? Well, the minimum down payment we discussed is 3% on a conventional, 3.5% on an FHA, owner-occupied. And if you don't fit the 3% down on a conventional, then the next one is 5% down. And it goes from there. What about a second home? Well, FHA is only owner-occupied, so they're out of the equation. And if you're doing a VA loan, out of the equation, a second home, conventional minimum down payments, 90. I've seen some at 95, but I'm going to just stick with my hat and go at 90%. And what is a second home? Again, it's a home that you are going to use as a second home. You're going to occupy for one or two weeks out of the year. And you do seasonal rentals, that's fine. It's when you stick an annual lease, it's no longer considered a second home. So that brings me to an investment property. What do you need for an investment property? Well, on an investment property, you need a minimum of 20% down. 
It could be more if you get into a triplex. So basically a minimum of 20% down. There's no monthly PMI. And what's the difference in the rate? Here we go back again. An owner-occupied, you're going to get a great rate, you know, based upon what? Credit scores, you know, how much you're putting down, the loan to value, all that good stuff. On a second home, the rate is really parallel to the owner-occupied. No big difference. They're going to be about the same. So nothing, nothing there to show there. What about an investment property? Well, an investment property where it is leased, what? That's right, annually. You're looking at approximately, approximately a half a percent higher than an owner-occupied or second home. So those are the differences there in terms of what the difference in a rate would be. But remember, you're always signing a government residential loan application. And on that bottom section where your signature goes, it says by fine of $10 million, imprisonment, or a million-dollar fine or 10 years in prison. So we always, always want to tell the truth, the whole truth, when doing a loan application. Just not worth it. Okay, what's the difference between an arm and a fixed? Well, in this time and frame that we're talking, I'm talking June 20th, 2019. Obviously, you're going to get the video next week. Uh, what's the difference? Well, there's not much. I had, I'm, I'm going fixed rate. You know, if you're going to be in the, uh, if you're going to be in the three percent range, I'm going fixed. I'm not doing anything different. I had a guy that uh, was really, he was really being inquisitive and researching, and a bank was trying to give him a seven-one arm for three eighths of a percent difference. And you know, I said, listen, I don't, there's not much of a spread there. I wouldn't do it. And I said, I've been doing this for over thirty years, and let me tell you, five or seven years goes by real fast. I'm 57. I was just yesterday 29. So I don't know. Uh, I'm not going with the arm. Just not going to do it. Well, I know I'm going to be out of the place. Well, we all say that. And I just got to tell you, after doing all these loans for all these people, we, we get to the five or seven years, and you're still there. Things change. So if it's a minute, small variance of three eights, I'm not going that route. And I really just told the guy, I said, listen, I'm not going to do it. I don't feel comfortable. I got to go to bed at night. And uh, I got you a great rate. I I'm going to stick with this one. And he, he talked to his wife, and they came to understanding. He said, yeah, there's not much of a difference to put a risk factor when we really don't know. And you really don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know, un unfortunately, a divorce or some financial situation or whatever. You, or, or, or maybe values of the homes go down and you don't have the equity. You just don't want to be stuck not being able to do anything and then on an arm, having the rate go up 2%. And all of a sudden, you're in a, you're, you're in a bad situation and you're getting this news and you can't do anything. So really, in this time, with the rates being as low as they are, and I do predict in a year from now, they're going to be much lower. I really feel that you just have to stick with the fixed rate. And then I have people you know, wanting to buy it down, buy down the rate. They want to buy it down. And I'm like, no. You know, because it takes, like, if you drop your interest rate, and let's say you pay 1% origination, well, it usually takes over five years to recuperate that one point. And you don't know what's going to happen in five years. Are you going to refinance? Are you going to sell? Is something going to happen? And I just really feel that you're going to have another 
unbelievable opportunity to refinance in 2020 at some point. Don't tell me when. I don't know. If I did, I wouldn't be doing these podcasts. I'd be on an island doing my ties because I'd know and I don't. But I really feel that you're going to have a great opportunity to refinance. And then, you know, when we talk about refinancing, you know, Florida is different than other states. You know, you can have some states up north and people carry their pay stubs in their back pocket. The rates drop by a quarter, three-eighths of a percent. There's like minimal cost. But when you're in the state of Florida, you know, I'm going to say on average, you got to drop your interest rate, you know, about 2%. And, but, you know, it's all case, case basis. And what I do is I take a look at the difference of what your principal and interest is now, what it would be, and can we recuperate it in about 18 months or less? That's my barometer. So we have to take a look at that. And so it's just not like other states because in Florida, you got intangible tax, 0.002 times the loan amount, doc stamps on the mortgage, 0.0035. You got title charge, recording fees. You know, it goes on and on. So, you know, it's got to be a good drop in rates. I had a gentleman call me up and, you know, to go from five and an eighth to four and an eighth for 1%. I said, no, just hang on. We've got to make more of a dent. You know, for a $3,000 cut, you know, save $75. That's not worth it. I wouldn't do it. Told him, wait. I said, your time's coming. It's just not today. So it's great if you want to call me and talk about your situation. My job is not to sell you to get you into a loan and do my sales job. My job is to find out what the numbers are going to be in order for you to do it. And it may not be today. <clears throat> and I don't pull your credit up front. I don't believe in it. I, I just don't want to. You know, you have credit karma and you have, you know, your credit cards that you can check, not accurate, but it gives you a range and that's all we're looking for. And so these are things, you know, when you're gonna refinance and with the rates coming down, what makes sense? And, you know, you just have that relationship. And, and it's really just a phone call, which, you know, I have all my contact info that you can see on the podcast. You know, just call me. And I got great videos, by the way. If you go to www.dvamortgage.com, check out my one-minute videos. I mean, there's so much information on there. One minute or less, we talk about something on each topic, and you might find something pertaining to you. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about, you know, minimal down payments on purchases and what we have going on. So let's talk about the cost. What's the difference in a cost? Well, really your costs are the same for a primary and owner-occupied investment property except for the appraisal. The appraisal on an investment property is different. You're probably going to get charged $150 more because they have to do rent schedules. So they have to do rent schedules because you're buying it as an investment property and you're going to have an annual lease. So that's really pretty much the only thing on there besides the interest rate is higher on an investment property. But as we said before, always stay with the truth. So those are some things to consider when you are getting financing in the state of Florida about the costs and the differences. Now, obviously, when we talked about going back to number one, going FHA or conventional, that applies also to the FHA 203K and the conventional renovation loan. The FHA 203K is still 3.5% and the conventional is 5% down on the renovation. But again, you're going to deal with higher interest rates when you are doing improvements to the home. 
but same things. And of course, we talked about there are more closing costs associated with those two programs because you have to get title updates, you have to get appraisal updates and things of that nature and a higher rate and some few administrative costs that will go along with that and a field inspector, you know, things of that nature. So I hope this has been helpful in identifying what type of loan should you be going for. And again, I didn't touch base about the VA and, and, and I can't tell you how many people have never used their VA eligibility. I scratch my head. 55-year-old people saying, I've never used it. I've never thought about it. Why wouldn't you use it when it's 100% financing? Even if you put money down, remember you have no monthly PMI. You have a minimum credit score of 620, but VA is absolutely incredible. The income debt ratios, the qualifying, the lower credit score, not affecting your rate, uh, really the way to go. So I'm telling you veterans out there, uh, if you haven't used your loan, use it. I, I got 5% down. I got money to put down. Okay. But let's compare it to the, let's, let's compare it to a VA. Let's compare the conventional to the VA to see what makes sense. So that's what we really want to kind of strive for. What makes sense? And that's what we want to do. But for you VAs, please use it. And again, some have the VA, God bless have the VA disability. And if you have a certain percentage, you don't get the VA funding fee. So it makes absolute, total, incredible sense. If you have the disability, not that you have the disability, but if you have the disability to have the VA funding fee waived, if you have that percentage. And, and that's something really to think about. So on your purchases, we talked about the conventionals. We went to FHA. Then we talked about the 203K. We talked about the renovation. And now we've concentrated on VA, which is how much down? That's right, zero down. I had a realtor, you know, a new one in the business. And he's like, they had a problem. They thought that VA covered everything. VA doesn't cover everything. VA allows you 100% financing. You still have closing costs. The seller can help. The loan officer can give a lender credit to help but you still have closing costs. It doesn't go away. So if the two can do it together to make it zero or the seller can do it all, you have that option on a VA. So really, if you go on a VA and you give a $1,000 deposit, you have the potential to get your $1,000 back at closing. So that's something to know about. And I think pretty incredible. And then, you know, you have the other loan programs called the non-QM, but you know, they require much more money down, higher interest rates, in a different situation. So when you do the non-QM loans, you just have to be aware that you're not meeting any of the expectation or the guidelines of all the things we just talked about. The non-QM goes on a different tangent. And on that non-QM, you know, one day at a short sale, one day at a bankruptcy, one day out of bankruptcy, short sale, foreclosure, or you have some other situations or other things. You can't verify the income. You got banks, you know, all different stuff. So that's a different game there, and we've touched base on it, but that's just a phone call and email to ask or inquire about it. So I, I hope I've been informative to you because you know, I just thought there was some important information there that people just don't know, and they don't know. I, I'm telling them, go FHA. Okay, sounds great. But I, I, I tell them why. I'm going this way because these are the reasons. Always have it explained. And then 
The other thing I want to touch base on before we say goodbye to one another today, when you have a closing disclosure, and I'm going to get into that on another podcast, but you really, when you have a loan package done and they send it to you electronically and they tell you to sign it, say, no, I want you to go over every fee with me. I want to talk about each line item. And I, I quiz you at the end. I really do. It's open book, but I quiz you. I want to make sure you understand totally. I took a loan app with a mom with a, a single child with no support job. I went over everything with her and, and she wasn't able to scan. And, you know, I'm going to meet her at 430 today. And she goes, can I bring my brother? I said, absolutely. So I'm going to quiz her with her brother so she understands everything. I'm going to do it again. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Because there's a lot of stuff on a loan. And you got to remember, when you get these disclosures sent to you, which you're going to get so many of them, they're all over the place. And you're like, well, that's not what he told me. But they're generic. And you have to remember that. But you can just always call me. We go back over it again. So I'm Didier, buying Florida. I'm with Didier Mortgage. I hope I've been helpful and I've answered questions for you today. And I'm just going to keep giving you think tanks, stuff to learn and grow from. So really, if you're out walking, you're out doing something, or you're getting some sun, you're relaxing, or you're flying, listen to me. Listen to what I got. And also visit my website, which I told you earlier, at www.didiamortgage.com, and check out my videos. They're absolutely mind-boggling. The real simple one-minute videos. Take a lesson. You'll learn something. I'm wishing you well and a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Buying Florida with your host, Didier. For more information and to apply for a loan, please visit ddamortgage.com. That's ddamortgage.com. Or click on the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Have a great day.